This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Coming up on the program today, a roadmap for the future for Missouri public school students. You'll need a roadmap to get around Silver Dollar Their street fest is beginning in a couple of days, running through the month of April. You'll hear from a Mizzou graduate who's turned her love of pottery into a successful business. And an issue that has risen this legislative session involves controversy over funding for MoDOT and who controls the purse strings. In an attempt to solve this, State Representative Don Mayhew has proposed a bill. He's here now with Marshall Griffin. The resolution, uh, if passed out of both chambers, uh, would allow the people of the state of Missouri to decide whether or not MoDOT needs to uh, be under the same um, oversight um, rules as uh, all the other state departments in Missouri. So basically, the way MoDOT operates now is, uh, well, most state agencies uh, are under the uh, office of the governor to a certain degree, and uh, the legislature sets their budgets every year. But there are a few state agencies, like um, like the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, Department of Conservation, and MoDOT, which have their own funding streams, and um, it, which uh, their funding comes from different things like uh, fuel taxes, um, some other things, uh, license, I believe, some licensing fees. So, um, but this your your proposal would uh, place MoDOT under. I guess the same legislative oversight that these that most other state agencies have uh, is that correct? Uh, yes, and even those state agencies are required to follow the this, the appropriation process as all the other state departments. So, Department of Elementary Secondary Education and Conservation both uh, appear every year in front of budget committee uh, to get their budgets uh, approved um, by the elected officials in the state of Missouri. We're, uh, you're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with State Representative Don Mayhew. Why particular um, is MoDOT being singled out for uh, being for trying to bring them under the same legislative authority that exists for most most other state agencies? What what triggered this? They pretty much forced our hand in that, and with the lawsuit, um, as the lawsuit winds its way through the through the judicial process, um, you know, it, it it could come down that um, all of the money uh, that that MoDOT receives for roads and bridges uh, would not be subject to any oversight um, by the legislature, which is uh, <laughs> quite honestly our our really our only constitutional duty. Um, are the purse strings of the state of Missouri, and we've been charged with the duty to keep an eye on uh, the people's money. And um, so if it is true, and I would argue that that um, it isn't completely 100% true that their money stands appropriated, uh, then it could be decided that way, and in which case the people would never get to weigh in on how um, MoDOT uh, spends their tax dollars. Some would uh, hear this or look at some of the details of the story and say, well, this lawsuit was triggered because MoDOT tried to give their employees pay raises and and one of the state agencies under the governor said no. And they might say, well, why, why shouldn't MoDOT employees have a pay raise? But what, what do you say to that argument? Yeah, I'm a big fan of giving the, the employees of MoDOT pay raise for a lot of different reasons. Number one is is that, uh, you know, if you take CDL drivers, for instance, you know, we're in competition with McDonald's, for Pete's sake, 
on uh, trying to get uh, CDL drivers to drive snowplow trucks. So um, I'm a big fan of their market pay plan. Now, they, the problem that was created um, and what drove this lawsuit was that they had asked the legislature for a, an increase in the gas tax, which the legislature gave them. Um, but in no conversations anyone had with me, nor any other member, was the, the uh, idea of raises uh, being part of that. Well, what happened nearly immediately after we approved the gas tax through the legislature, uh, then that's whenever they decided that they would, on their own, provide raises to their employees, which I would argue was something they could have done at any time, even prior to the gas tax uh, increase. Well, at the same time, we were talking about in the legislature about giving across the board raises to all state employees. And so the the idea of them getting out ahead of that and then not um, telling the state legislature that that was their plan all along, um, you know, we felt it was a bit disingenuous. Uh, whether or not the employees needed a raise, I think you would you would find that uh, there was pretty uh, common sentiment throughout the building um, that those employees for sure needed a raise and uh, that certainly statewide we were having a problem um, filling staffing positions, a lot of it to do with the fact that wages were increasing at a, at a faster rate than we could keep up with. You know, had um, had they made that obvious at the beginning, then then uh, we probably wouldn't have had the issue that we had with Office of Administration saying that those raises had not been appropriated. When, and I think that they were justified in doing that. And then the subsequent lawsuit that came after that, where MoDOT asserted that that basically any money that we um, pushed their direction, gas tax or otherwise, whether or not we passed it or it's constitutional, uh, stands appropriated, then they can spend it however they see fit without any oversight by the by the state legislature. You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with State Representative Don Mayhew, and uh, we're talking about a proposed constitutional amendment that would put the, the Missouri Department of Transportation under the same funding authority as most other state agencies. As it goes back to pay raises, of course, uh, Governor Parson signed into law the um, the supplemental budget that included an 8.7% pay raise for all state workers. Did that include MoDOT workers on top of what the raises they already got or are already trying to get? No, absolutely. And then that's on the, uh, in addition to the 10% that we gave last year. So, you know, we're looking at nearly a 20% pay increase in, in over the last couple of uh, budget cycles. And um, I mean, I'm going to be the first one to agree that that, that was necessary. Um, you know, we're having trouble filling those staffing positions and pay is a lot of it. As as we all know, in, in just about every industry, we saw wages increase at an exponential rate. Uh, to, due to a lot of things, um, mostly the lack of, of uh, availability of uh, qualified people to do those jobs. And so from the standpoint of a necessity, we were definitely in a, in a uh, period of time when we needed to make some changes there from a, from a pay standpoint. Otherwise, um, you know, we can't staff our prisons, our highway patrol, our, 
of the various MoDOT positions for snow removal and all of those other uh, things that we consider uh, essential and, and necessary and even in some cases emergency services. Um, so, um, you know, like I said before, we're, I was a big fan of, of um, giving all state employees a raise and uh, voted for it every time it came up. In particular, though, this, this latest uh, pay hike for all state employees that was improved includes MoDOT employees, um, I'm assuming. But uh, so does that mean that if MoDOT wins this suit, they get the extra pay raise that they were seeking beforehand on top of uh, what the governor's already approved? Hard to predict. I mean, I, I won't uh, try to predict um, what actions that they will take, but the assumption is, is based on their their prior actions that they would move forward with a pay plan however they saw fit, um, which the uh, this year's budget included both a proposal to do the across the board 8.7 uh, proposed by the governor and then their own uh, what they call market pay plan. Um, so the governor decided not to go with the market pay plan in lieu of the across the board raise. Now, the actions that they take, if the, the court decides in their favor, uh, one would assume that they would move forward with the plan that they like the best, which was their market pay plan. So my guess is, is that, and strictly a guess, I don't know how they'll operate, but my guess is, is that if they propose this market pay plan, then that's the thing that they would move forward with. So you would see, you know, raise differentials based on I, I think um, job classification and demand in those jobs uh, certainly not a bad idea. Um, but once again, uh, the, 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 the those decisions are without any legislative input. HJR thirty seven. I guess in a nutshell, tell our listeners uh, what this would do if it's passed by the House and the Senate. Uh, what what the steps would be once that happens. So once it's passed, um, then it will appear on the ballot in November, and then the people uh, would get to vote on whether or not they felt that MoDOT uh, should be subjected to the same oversight as every other state department. And let me jump in a second. That would be November of 2024, right? Uh, November of 2023, if it passed. This year, okay. Or, I mean, yeah, if it passes out of the House and the Senate. That was State Representative Don Mayhew. He is sponsoring HJR 37. It's a uh, resolution, a proposed constitutional amendment that would place the Missouri Department of Transportation's funding authority underneath the legislature. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. 
Sports. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit wesaysaveit.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org, a message from AARP and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. The streets around uh, Silver Dollar City will be hopping here in the month of April. And joining us is Casey Robertson from um, Silver Dollar City to talk about Street Fest. Casey, welcome. Hi, how's it going today? Yeah, good. We're looking forward to this now. This all gets started uh, Thursday and runs the month of April. It does. It gets started on April 6th and it runs through April 30th. And we actually just added another day to the festival. We just added April 10th. Oh, okay. All right. Well, tell uh, everyone what Street Fest is at Silver Dollar City. Street Fest is a conglomeration of different acts that you get to see mainly on the streets, like you would see in the streets of a city, Silver Dollar City. Or, um, and then we also have some indoor shows. We've got a great new show that we put together this year that's at the Opera House, and it's called Bloom, and it features... Christy Sellers, who was on uh, America's Got Talent and also won Australia's version of America's Got Talent, and Jessica Haas, which is a female speed painter. So that's going to be a really great show. If, if you like art and you like flowers, you're going to love this show. Did you say uh, speed painter or feet painter? Speed painter. Speed yep. painter. Okay, so right. it, she's got some songs. <laughs> she's got some songs that are about five or six minutes long, and she's going to paint a picture. Sometimes the picture is upside down. Uh, she doesn't go upside down, but the picture is upside down, and then at the end she flips it right side up and reveals what she just painted. Oh man, I've I've seen that before. That's uh, yeah, that's really talented. That's kind of cool. All right, so all this stuff yep. is uh, going around the streets, and um, uh, rides are open, and everything is up up and running throughout the park. Right. 
Yep, all the rides are open. We've got some special food, and food's not necessarily my area. I enjoy food, but I, uh, it's not my area. But we've got some great food, and we got the food passport for this festival, and then all kinds of street entertainment. So we've got a one-man band that kind of walks around and um, plays many, many instruments. He's got a bass drum strapped to him and some horns, and plays all that. And then um, we've got a marching drum line that you can hear pretty much anywhere in the park. We've got a brass band that's up on the square. Um, just all kinds of entertainment everywhere, and. This year is the Frontier Follies, the saloon show. It's the 50th anniversary. It opened in 1973, and so we're celebrating our 50th anniversary with one of our house shows. Wow, that's crazy. All right, so Street Fest at Silver Dollar City, uh, that's just, is this kind of like the kickoff to the season, if you will? I mean, I know everything is, there's something going on year-round, but is this kind of the, the kickoff to warm weather and get out and... We sure hope so. It's been a little cold recently, but um, yeah, we opened with um, spring ride days when you know a lot of folks are on vacation, and this is our this is our big kickoff festival. It, yep, Street Fest is the kickoff festival. Casey Robertson with Silver Dollar City Street Fest uh, begins Thursday and runs through the uh, month of April. Um, you talked about the food. I'm, I'm on the uh, website here, Silver Dollar City, and I see the uh, explore the menu, and uh, a lot of the stuff is delicious. Now I know you said this isn't your uh, your area of expertise, but um, I see like some raviolis. I mean, you've got like a wide selection of of great. Oh my gosh, the potbelly skewers. I mean, there's a wide range of stuff on here. This stuff looks delicious. So there's a, a big the, menu. The food. Yeah. The food team works very hard, yep, and the, the menu changes up per festival, but this one's got a, a great one. Um, I'm kind of an old standard guy. We have a great grilled cheese that's on Texas toast with some thick-cut bacon, and that's my favorite. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of different food per festival, and it always the, the team does a wonderful job on that. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, tasting uh, passport? You had mentioned that. Yep, you get to you can um, when you come in the park, you can buy a tasting passport, and it's a lanyard you wear, and you can go around and get little samples from the different venues that have foods of um, like a, it's a it's a little appetizer tasting passport for that specific place. You can go around and sample all the different things and find your favorite, and um, it, it's enough for two to kind of satisfy you, and then you just go out all throughout the park and check that out. What are the uh, hours during Street Fest here, the month of uh, April? Uh, we open at 10 a.m. and we close at 6 p.m. Okay. So the the turnstiles will open at 9. You can get into the, the square from 9 until 10. And then at 10 o'clock, we drop the change. You can ride rides. You can eat some food and you can see some shows. Any other tips for people that are planning their visit to Silver Dollar City in April in terms of uh, the weather and how you should dress? You got you, you to gotta check the weather apps. Sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's warm. Um, even if it's raining, we got a bunch of shows. And um, you can come on in and always check those out. And um, you can always turn your one-day ticket into a season pass for less than the price of uh, three days here at the park. So oh. I want to check that out, too, if you're, if you're going to visit multiple times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, uh, boy, I mean, that area is just uh, growing. And uh, where do you get visitors from this time of year? We get visitors from all over. We, You know, the primary within 200 miles of here, but we get folks from Dallas. We get folks from Chicago. Um, we're getting more and more folks in from all across the country. We're, we're becoming more of a destination vacation. And Francis got a lot to offer, and Silver Dollar City sure has a lot to offer. Yeah, you know, Casey, it's funny. I mean, this is unscientific, but when I am out of state and uh, talking to people and say, where, you know, where are you from? I say Missouri. Uh, people don't say Kansas City. They don't say St. Louis. 
uh, I can't tell you how many people say, oh, man, yeah, yeah, we, we met at the Branson once. Yeah, uh, Silver Dollar City. I mean, I hear that more than any other attraction in this or city in the, in the state of Missouri. Sure. Well, we've been here more than 60 years, and uh, a lot of folks have checked it out. And a lot of folks have been here one time, two times, come every year. Yeah, it's uh, we're seems like Branson's catching on more and more all the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, Street Fest is what it's called. It starts Thursday. Um, plenty of food, plenty of uh, entertainment, and um, can you tease anything big that's coming up this summer that we should keep an eye on? We got Michael W. Smith that's going to kick off our our new summer festival, and so he kicks off on. June 3rd, and of course we've got Nick Willenda back. You know, Nick Willenda's walked across the Grand Canyon. He w- he's walked across Niagara Falls, and he's back for a second time. Back by popular demand. And um, that's a great show. If you haven't seen that, the Willenda family's been doing circus for over 100 years, and circus is the oldest form of family entertainment. You know, back in the 1800s, if you wanted to have family entertainment, you'd go see the circus. And so at Silver Dollar City, we're all about family entertainment, and we got Nick back this year. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Always worth uh, two, three trips the summer to head down to Silver Dollar City in Branson. Casey Robertson, thank you so much, and uh, good luck with Street Fest. Thanks. We'll see you soon. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. 
Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Show Me Today. Angela Johnson first took up pottery in college when she graduated from Mizzou. Through many trials, she's back on the wheel, leading an outstanding local business, displaying work in art shows, and offering one-on-one pottery classes. Angela's here with Cameron Connor to discuss her path to pottery. Well, I started my journey with clay when I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree at the University of Missouri-Columbia. And with that class, you have lots of art classes you have to take. And so ceramics was one of them. I emphasized in graphic design, but forming clay at the wheel was really what I enjoyed the most. And then after I graduated, uh, my parents supported me with this passion by helping me get a wheel, kiln, clay, and glazes. Um, I don't think they had any idea that those purchases that they got from me back then would be supporting me um, almost 30 years later. And I still, um, I still really enjoy getting my hands messy in the clay and creating at the wheel. Um, and over the year, years that I've worked with clay, I found that there are a lot of parallels um, of my life's journey. Um, my faith journey was one of those areas of my life that has been hugely impacted by my work with the clay on the wheel. In my late 20s, I found myself living a life that was really unhealthy and miserable and um, in this pain, I reached out and found a church community. And when I was attending classes at this church, I was invited by one of the leaders to bring my wheel. They had us put together a poster of different things about ourselves. And one of the pictures that I put on mine, of course, was the wheel. And so the teacher was like, would you be willing to bring your wheel during one of our classes and share about the process? So I just then began to see a lot of parallels between when I was at the wheel and how what my relationship with God was. Through this process, you know, not, not, not only did you start to, or you didn't have any idea that back then when your parents helped you out, 
invest and fuel your your passion and your joy and your hobby for for pottery you end up rekindling that relationship through your own through religion and it basically mm -hmm. so it basically brings you into this next stage of your life which is, which is your business in a lot of ways so how how really did that get going right so i have to go back a couple years in 2013 my mom had a stroke and then a year later a little bit over a year later, my dad was riding his bicycle. He was out on a bike ride, which had been a bit since my mom's health challenges for him to be out on his bike, but he got out on his bike and then he had a heart attack. We didn't know that he was having any health challenges. Um, so it was really surprising and he passed away. But right after my dad passed, I decided to get my wheel back out. And I think there was just, God was helping me by helping me figure out a place and a and a way to get it back out. So when I first got my wheel out, I was just um, making things for friends and family. Then, but then I just kept making and making because I the process of it, I had so many pieces that I was like, oh, maybe my friends and family would maybe want to buy them. And then I had done shows earlier in my journey and I thought, oh, maybe I should do that again. And then my cousin suggested I maybe talk to a couple stores in Columbia and see if anybody would be willing to carry and what that looked like. Um, so I reached out to a couple stores that did consignment with makers and found the ability to sell in a couple stores. And then it kind of grown from there. For those of you just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Angela Johnson and we're talking about pottery here today. She has a business called Angela Marie Pottery that you can find online, or if you search Angela Marie Pottery on either Instagram or Facebook, it'll pop right up, and she also sells locally in Colombia. It's an incredible journey to go on, especially when you see so many of the parallels, like you're talking about, whether it's through religion or religion, your relationship with pottery and clay making and, and yourself and how you've combated with some very, very challenging things in your life. And it's brought you here to this moment, and it's it's really been an unbelievable thing. And I've gone to your Facebook page, which is Angela Marie Pottery. I've gone to your website and some of the pieces that you've created is absolutely gorgeous. They're unbelievable. And you, it seems like you kind of have something that's there for kind of fits anyone's expertise, whether it's mm -hmm. very colorful or, you know, more of like a neutral color, or you, I think you even have like dog bowls and things like that. You, you really go all out mm -hmm. with this. Yeah. I, um, in the trying to figure out what kind of where to sell my pieces, I wanted to do more of the art shows. Like I was wanting to buy something different and um, reach out and what you have to do for art shows is they're called is juried so they have people that you submit pictures and they decide if you would be a good fit for that art show so not just because you want to do one doesn't mean you get to do it <laughs> you have to be um, accepted and invited into it and so early on I tried that, but I wasn't really ready, um, so they didn't accept me into the show. And that was hard to hear, um, but it fueled me to figure out what that was about. So over the last three or four years, that's what I've spent time doing, trying to figure out what's my style, learn my craftsmanship, and how to take pictures, and what the art shows are looking for. Uh, last year... It took, it took me a bit. I had a group of friends that really encouraged me and looked at my pictures and continued to push me to move forward. And so I submitted for some shows last year and was accepted. So that felt really good. And then I applied for the Best of Missouri Hands is a website and an organization that supports artists. 
and they you can become a member, but you can also become a juried artist where you have sub, uh, um, submit pictures and they see your stuff and they decide if you um, have are at the level of good craftsmanship and that you have a style that you're working for. And they accepted me in. So now I'm a juried artist in the Best of Missouri Hands organization. So that was all really encouraging to me. Yeah, congratulations. I'm on your website right now, and it looks like you also have some dates for for art fairs and art shows in May and also June as well. So I'm sure this has been a thrilling time for you when you see all that hard work, all that passion really get put in one place to put on display. I'm sure it's a little nerve-wracking too, like you were saying, but overall, I I feel like you have to be pretty pretty excited. I am. Um, And actually, the show that I'm doing in June is the same one I was I did not get accepted for back in 2017, I think is when I tried for that. So that's pretty, pretty cool that I was uh, now at the point where I'm, I was able to get accepted into that, that opportunity. I guess just the passion point of view, or just from like a favoritism point of view, does every single piece you make, no matter what it is, does it bring its own pride and joy? I'm sure it does, obviously, but do you have like a favorite type of thing that you like to craft, whether it's pots or coffee mugs or, you had fantastic dog bowls or, or anything like vases. <laughs> what, what, what's your go-to if you're sitting at the wheel and you're just trying to craft something, mold something for yourself? Is, is there a go-to or do you just kind of get experimental with it? Right. Um, usually it's bigger pieces. Like I like to throw bigger bowls that I make and then I add little hand, I add some handles to them. The other, the thing I like to make when I do those bigger bowls is I use two different colors of clay together. Um, I have a light clay and a dark clay, and I'll take a big, a a piece of the white clay, I wedged it into a ball, and then I cut it in a couple different places, and then I put slivers of the dark in, and then I put the ball kind of back together and wedge it a little bit, and then take it to the wheel, and then when I um, trim it, you can really see the light and dark go up, um, but it kind of looks like wood. Um, so I really like that it gives a different texture to the clay um, than you might see regularly. And so I like to show that. So I will I'll only glaze some of the piece. I'll leave some of that clay showing at the bottom so people can really see that texture and the difference in the clay colors. Gorgeous. And one of the wrap-up questions that, that that I have for you here is not only do you offer so many of these great pieces that you've crafted to sell or display on art shows or anything like that, you also do some sort of teaching lessons too, correct? I do. really enjoy teaching someone at the wheel in a one-on-one experience. The joy I feel of like taking a ball of clay and actually creating something from it, I it's, it's fun to watch somebody else try to learn that. And there's so many complexities to it that you they'll watch, you watch someone that's really good at something and you say, Oh, that looks so easy. And then you try it and you're like, Oh, there's so much more to this than I realized. But over the two hours, when I walk someone through that process, by the end of the two hours, you see all these like clicks happening with their hands and the clay and their brain understanding how hard, you know, how hard they need to touch it or how gentle they need to touch it and just all the levels of the different ways that you touch the clay. And it's fun to watch even how close they get to the clay. That's such a great experience. And, you know, not only are you still able to work in your passion, you're able also to teach something that you treasure. So I'm sure, as you were mentioning, that brings so many other rewarding characteristics to you from a different angle of something that you still love to do. 
The wrap-up question that I'll have for you, Angela, for anyone that's listened to this interview here today that wants to either, you know, they, they want to go and they want to do one of these pottery sessions or they want to see some of your work and potentially, you know, look to purchase some or anything like that, where, where can they find Angela Marie Pottery at? So I sell at two different stores here in Columbia. One is at Poppy and it's downtown. And the other one is Tin Roof, uh, Monogram and Gifts, and that is south of town. And then if they follow me on Instagram, which is at the Angela Marie Pottery, or on Facebook, or go to my website, I'll list where I'm going to be for the shows that I'm going to be doing this year. Well, this has been Angela Johnson. We've been talking about her, her, basically her passion of pottery, how she came to it, and how it's become one of the most inspirational things in her life. And we're also talking about her business, Angela Marie Pottery. Angela, thank you so much for your time here today on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude. Did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. 
Welcome back to Show Me Today. A legislative effort aims to help public school students pave a roadmap for the future. Elisa Nelson talks to State Senator Carla Esslinger. Well, this particular bill, uh, Senate Bill 136, uh, it provides uh, some guidance to our school systems to be able to provide what we consider to be the ICAP, which is an um, individual career plan uh, application for every student in, in all of our public schools. And, and really, it's just a guide uh, for school districts to be able to consider not only a student's uh, academic uh, kinds of progress, uh, but also gives them a kind of a path into what courses or what experiences would lead to them reaching their goals. And these goals are established by the parent, uh, the students, the, the counselor, all together. And then it just gives the kind of a roadmap as to what it is that needs to be done and what things need to be kind of checked off a list uh, so that those kids are really ready to go when they cross that stage in May. You know, uh, I think checklists are important for everyone. <laughs> um, so, so, so this is this is good. Um, why did you decide to file this bill? Well, there's there's times I've been in education for many many years, and uh, you know my interest in career tech ed, my interest in what really happens to our graduates, um, came to me back when I was a superintendent of schools. And then I became aware that some of our kids would go on to four-year academic programs. Some kids would go to some kind of post-secondary certification training or military, or even maybe they went straight to, to employment. But there was a certain amount of children that just had used, was going through, college, through high school, made decent grades, good attendance records, good citizenship, but they really just didn't have a plan. And they it usually set them back at least a year or so Um in really being able to do some things that they wanted to do. And so as the superintendent of schools, I mean, the kids knew when they saw me, if it was past Christmas, they knew the first question I was going to ask them is, what's your plan in May? Because I wanted them all to have a plan. I didn't know that there was such a thing as an ICAP. I wanted them to have a plan. And so that's that's where it started as far as my interest. And it just makes sense to me for us to make sure that all schools are doing this kind of work with their with their high school kids. Um, so that's why the, the legislation came about. I think it's good practice. I just want it to be something where just because you happen to go to a school that maybe doesn't do as much in the career counseling field, and I want you to have the same opportunity as others. Now, would this be up to the, uh, say, the school counselor to do, or uh, would it be a certain uh, teacher in a certain area, a, a certain subject? How would this work? It really isn't defined that narrowly as to who provides the ICAP or the, or the uh, oversight of the plan, but it does, um, of course, career tech ed, people have the training, and basically school counselors what it says, right? But it's a, it's a plan that's put together, you know, as I said before, that's parents, uh, school personnel, and the student. So all, of, all three of those kind of participate in the development of that plan. State Senator Carla Esslinger of Wasola joins Show Me Today to talk about her proposal involving career and academic plans for students. And then um, I see another part of it would be um, requiring each school district to create a process in which a student completes and submits the free application for federal student aid. Uh, talk about yeah. why you wanted to include this as a requirement. 
Well, you know, we all have great goals and aspirations as to what we want to do, but one of the first things that kind of stops some kids short is just that support around tuition or other expenses in post-secondary training. And as you know, the FAFSA uh, is something that when a child fills that out and their parents are a part of it, they become aware that there is opportunity out there. Uh, and it varies with, with the what various fields, you know, which and whether or not uh, what, what kinds of train opportunities there are. But uh, once you become uh, submit the FAFSA, then that whole uh, menu of different kinds of support uh, become apparent. And I think it's just really, really good. You know, we did some research with this piece of legislation, and last year I think it was seventy million that was left on the table. This year it's seventy-three million dollars. Uh, that were available through Pell money was still sitting on the table at the end of the day that our post-secondary kids could have used. So just with that information, knowing that we are not accessing or using the amount of support that's out there and available is a reason that I really would like to see every child have that awareness through the FAFSA. And it's not something, I know that this came out, uh, I think at one time that we were mandating it and making kids do this or they could not graduate. And that's furthest from the truth. We're just making sure schools have a process in place to where kids have access to and are aware of the FAFSA, what it can do, what it contains. Okay. All right. So good. Um, That's a good uh, thing to make sure that we clarify. Um, Now, with this also, in terms of the process, does it help? Because that FAFSA can be extreme. There's a lot going on in that whole application. Um, (laughs) Are there supports uh, within this bill that helps the families fill this out? Of course, there's there's supports there at the school uh, that the parents, as as they're filling out and and going through the ICAP, it just seemed like a natural thing to kind of weave the FAFSA in there uh, because there's where the supports and the questions can be answered and uh, during that process, and it's an ongoing process from ninth grade on. So um, I think there's a lot of uh, just understanding and awareness that happens along the way, along that journey for the parents, the students, and also the school. Um, the one thing about the FAFSA, though, that I am proud of is that I know several people have asked, and I believe they finally have made the FAFSA just a little bit less cumbersome. And I'm not sure exactly which aspects were changed, but I have been told by um, my actually, I've got a high school. My daughter is a high school business teacher, and uh, she sometimes is the person that sits down with the child as they're walking through a FAFSA. She teaches in a small school, and she said it's better than it used to be. So I'm I'm very proud to hear that. Okay, good. Now um, exemptions from this requirement under certain circumstances. What does that look like? Well, really, it could be something as. Um, that I really don't need this. I'm, I'm going to go work for my family business. I'm, there's no reason for me to fill it out. The reason for that language in the bill is because every parent needs to have the opportunity or student to say, I'm not, I don't want to do this. It's not a mandate. So that's where there's an out. Okay. State Senator Carla Esslinger of Wasola joins Show Me Today to talk about her proposal involving career and academic plans for students. Uh, Three people spoke in opposition to the bill during the public hearing. What arguments were they making? I think sometimes people have the really the misunderstanding that this is causing kids to get on a track in which they cannot get off and that we are uh, kind of defining what their what their work life is going to look like back when they're a freshman. 
and it's not a tracking tool at all. And I think back in the um, maybe 70s or 80s, I'm not sure, I, I can tell you that I've been with school systems that long, that there was a concern that we were tracking children and having them either go the academic route or the vocational route or whatever it was. And this is not, this just opens up the menu for whatever options that that child has defined as their goal. Now, they can switch it up anytime. There's nothing that's causing them to stay with. If they change their mind or have different aspirations, they obviously can just do whatever. We're just trying to help them along the way to give them as much support as we can so that they can do what they truly love. Because we, you know, the whole goal here is that if you ever get an opportunity to do the work that you love, then you never have to go to work any day, right? <laughs> You're just loving your life. So uh, uh, that's, a, that's just kind of the goal. You know, you talked about grades earlier or something to that effect. Does it kind of help to put in front of them, okay, these are the types of grades you would need to be able to get this, this type, go into this type of field. Does it get into that whatsoever? Yes, Elisa, you're, you're spot on there. Um, I know that when I've worked with kids that if you can establish a goal and they really, really want it, it motivates them uh, not only to, uh, you know, stay connected and stay, you know, focused, but they want to achieve a higher uh, grade level. They want to, to be in class every day and they really want to learn the subject matter because it'll make a difference as to whether they're able to do what they have decided they want to do. So when kids are just going through the motions and taking the English 101 and the, and the history 101, they see no purpose. I think it's really important for us to give that, that connection between these courses these things that you're learning, you're going to be able to apply to what you've decided you really want to do with your world. All right. State Senator Carla Esslinger, thanks for coming on to talk about your bill. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Wrapping up here on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I don't know if you've been paying attention to baseball at all, watching it on TV, but I got to tell you, I was not a fan of the idea of a pitch clock. But now with that pitch clock in, giving uh, pitchers and batters 20 seconds to get ready in between pitches, uh, I love it. Uh, and I wonder, uh, before the pitch clock, why did these guys take so long? Why did they need so long in between pitches before? I love it. It's a, it's a whole new game. Hey, hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. Show me today.